I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light on Light Through, episode 298, Picard, season two, a roundtable discussion. Well, I was part of a superb roundtable discussion just last night. Captain Phil invited me to his show on WUSB Radio, that Stony Brook's radio station, and I had a great discussion there with Captain Phil and Michael Rizzo and Mary Beth Ritkowski. Both of them are avid Star Trek fans, and they also have been organizing a, an important event for Star Trek fans, Trekonderoga. Anyway, we talked about not only the second season of Picard, we talked about the first season, we talked about our favorite Star Trek episodes across all seasons, we talked about the original series, we talked about the next generation, but rather than having me summarize everything that we talked about, here now is the conversation. The Light on Light Through podcast. So what do you think, uh, guys, of the supermassive black hole? We're on the air with Paul Levinson, Mary Beth Rakowski, and Michael Rizzo. Here you are. I just put up your volume here. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hi. Hello. Good evening. Uh, I'm doing great. By the way, uh, are you talking about the black hole in Picard or the <laughs> black hole in the Republican Party? Or... <laughs> well, well I, I have you booked. I have you booked to do another oh, politics, okay. politics show, but we're going to avoid that tonight. Um, but, right. but actually, you know what? Um, when this news broke of the black hole... And I watched uh, the second episode of Strange New Worlds last night, um, in the middle of the night, Mary Beth, uh, very, very late at night. Um, I watched the Will Wheaton talk show afterwards, and yeah. Will Wheaton quoted Larry Niven's Ringworld, Paul. How cool was that? Did you, did you, uh, did you realize that? Have you been watching uh, Strange New Worlds yet? No, I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I, I think it's very cool. And uh, look, uh, Wheaton has been... Uh, uh, all over the Star Trek place lately, right? He showed up in the in the last episode of Picard. It was it was, was shocking. Nice. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. By the way, That's shout cool. out shout out to Eve. Eve's, Eve's out there uh, listening, and uh, she's having a Captain Overload. Have a supersonic show. She's checking out what we're talking about here. So, Eve, uh, spoiler alert. We're talking about Star Trek Picard here on the Friday Night Freeform. On WUSB Stony Brook. Let me get a little music behind us. There we go. Got a little music behind us here. I got the Picard soundtrack behind us. And uh, you know what? Uh, before we start and get into uh, talking about the actual show, uh, Paul, Michael, and Mary Beth, let's go in that order. Uh, give us your contacts, your websites, your URLs. Uh, where can people find you? We'll start with Paul Levinson. Okay, well, uh, as of now, Twitter is the place where people most reach me. That's at Paul Lev, P-A-U-L-L-E-V. I hope uh, Elon Musk doesn't throw me off the system. But He's not so buying it. He, 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 yeah, he's right. just broke. As he's not buying it. He's, he's going to buy a 7-Eleven instead. <laughs> Good. 
That'll be a lot better for the world. But anyway, we're not supposed to talk politics or anything like that. So they, they can find me there. Look, if, you, if anyone does a search on my name and puts the word Amazon afterwards, they'll find every single book I've ever written or have a story in or an article in and so on. So I also have a YouTube channel, same deal under Paul Levinson. I have a podcast. The name of that is Light on Light Through. I have a couple of blogs. Probably the most popular one is Paul Levinson's Infinite Regress. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a good, all those places are a good place to start. Awesome. And uh, Michael Rizzo, um, your claim to fame is the <laughs> distillery that you're running with your friend, Mary <laughs> Beth Rakowski, and of course, your association with uh, Trek Honduras. So tell us about that a little bit. Right. Well, we do a weekly uh, Facebook live show called Sci-Fi Distills, and we talk about uh, pretty much anything sci-fi, TV, movies from the 80s, 90s to current uh so we try to we try to do stuff that's already if it's a series that it's already completed, uh, so that you know we can talk about it in, in its whole entirety. Um, and we also that's also you can find us as a podcast after after the show we put it up uh, in, in the various podcast places. But you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/distilled. And we usually we have a little bit of an alcohol theme to our show in the distilled part, so we always have a drink of the day uh, for each show. So hopefully on on theme with what we're, we're talking about um and i'll let mary beth talk about the trek conderoga uh thing since that's really her bag but we both volunteer up there go ahead mary beth yeah so uh we do both volunteer at the star trek set tour and they are on twitter under star trek tour but uh you get more information if you go to www StarTrekTour.com and uh, we're having some great events coming up this summer so I can talk about that when we wrap up but yeah check it out it's uh, it's fun stuff <laughs> fantastic so um, I know Mary Beth and, and Michael you're both uh, longtime Star Trek fans um, not to put uh, put the mark on you Paul but uh, did Paul did you watch Star Trek first run Oh, absolutely. Tell us about that experience, because I didn't. I don't think Mary Beth and Michael did. What was it like seeing it? Were you actually, um, I don't know how old you were then, but were you at the Worldcon where they premiered it? No, I didn't go to Worldcons then. I was only two years old. Okay. I was a little little (laughs) older than that. But I I watched and loved uh, the, the original series. And to tell you the honest truth, uh, and, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way. Although I think uh, there are episodes in Star Trek The Next Generation which are better than some of the episodes in the original series. By and large, I still think the original series was the best Star Trek series ever on television. And, you know, so therefore Picard, just to jump ahead, has a lot to live up to because even if he is as good as the Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation, he, he's still, I think, not going to equal what Kirk, Spock, and McCoy had going. And l- let me also just say that as an avid fan of time travel, 
which obviously played a big part in Picard. I always thought that City on the Edge of Forever, and I still do feel that way, is, is probably the best hour of a time travel story I've ever seen anywhere, either on television or in the movies. By the way, my wife, Tina, then was my girlfriend, and one of the things that we bonded over was she loved Star Trek too. So uh, not not Star Trek the number two, Star Trek also, and so that that was was and still is a big deal uh, in our lives. And we've taken our kids to see every uh, Star Trek movie, and uh, we're probably going to do the same thing with our grandkids. So this has been a lifelong love of mine, and uh, it's with that that. It would take something absolutely extraordinary for a new Star Trek series to equal uh, any of that, and uh, it, it is a, a, a really difficult challenge. Do you remember uh, the first episode of Star Trek you ever saw? Which one it was? The first episode of Star Trek I ever saw on Channel 4, NBC, was the first episode of Star Trek. Oh, sweet. So you saw The Man Trap, right? Was that, that was yes. the first one aired. Oh, awesome. That's right. But I'll tell you what, what I remember the most, you know, other than City on the Edge of Forever and Apropos Strange New Worlds, that special episode, what was it called? The Menagerie, in yep. which Captain Pike is, is introduced. That was a masterpiece. And, you know, it was only years later that I came to know how Roddenberry put that together by taking, as we know, a mm -hmm. pilot, which got the series going, but they had to get a new actor. And so they changed the character from Pike to, uh, to I was going to say from Pike to Shatner, <laughs> but no, it should be. Yeah. Uh, but Jeffrey but, Hunter, Jeffrey Hunter to Shatner. Jeffrey Hunter, right. Um, but uh that was really an extraordinary, uh, it was, I think, a two-part show, wasn't it? Uh, it went to two hours. Yeah, and, and the thing, and the thing, uh, and we're, we're going to go to Michael in a second here, but the thing that I find amazing about uh, um, the Menagerie from the original series, it's, it's and it's also an episode that plays into the New Strange New Worlds um, show, and a few other items from the original series have wormed their way into Picard as well. Um, but the thing that's amazing is that it's a TV show that is the people on the TV show watching a TV show, <laughs> right? Yes. They're sitting there watching a TV show. We're watching them watch Star Trek. So it's kind of like the, one of those paintings with the mirror, the one of those infinity paintings. You just keep going, going in and going in, you know? Uh, Michael Rizzo, um, what was the first original Star Trek episode you ever saw? Do you remember? I have no idea. I saw it in syndication. Um, like a lot of us of my age, I'm in my 50s, um, in the 70s, uh, is when I first was exposed to it. Uh, Channel 11, WPIX out of New York was running it probably around five o'clock every day after school. So it was something on. In those days, you know, you had, I, I actually was lucky. I lived in Southern Connecticut. So we used to pick up a lot of the stuff out of New York. So we had like six channels off air to watch as opposed to other areas that had like maybe three if they were lucky. So we had, we had, we had WPX, which is an independent and we ran that. So, you know, uh, you didn't have a lot to watch. And so, so Star Trek was on. So it wasn't that I was uh, enamored with it. It was some, you kind of were almost force fed it initially that and like lost <laughs> in space those old shows, but it definitely be, you know, uh, kind of became part of my personality. And then, you know, I am of that 
Star Wars generation. That's really, you know, in 1977, I was 10 years old and that movie came out and my world changed. Um, and I still consider myself a fan of both. But as I matured, I definitely started coming back more to Star Trek in the 80s and stuff like that uh, to the original series. And I agree, the original series is still the best of anything. And I know that's probably coming from somebody do it when we've done these, you know, these these Trek Conderogas and we talked to all these different fans of, of the show. And I find that the fans find their favorite show is the one they were first exposed to. Um, you know, I had a, I did a panel once, uh, and we kind of went around and said, you know, what's your favorite? There was one person that said, Star Trek Voyager is my favorite. And I was like, okay, you can leave now. But <laughs> <laughs> jokingly, you know, but, uh, you know, but that was what she was exposed to first. You know, that was her first Star Trek. So of course it's her first love. Um, Mary Beth, let's, let's uh, give it to you. So of course you're deeply involved with Trek Honda You're the original set tours and you have the same experience as Michael does, where you encounter the fans, you are like the point person as people are coming in yeah. uh, and and seeing them. So you have that consideration. But what was the what's what's the first original Star Trek episode you ever saw? You know, uh, just like Mike, I actually don't remember. Um, Star Trek was something that my dad introduced me to. He was the fan. Uh, I, I know my mom has said many, many times that uh, they, they were dating in the 60s when uh, that show came out. And my mother would say, you know, it was Friday night. We weren't going out until we watched Star Trek. <laughs> so my dad was the one who introduced me to show to the show. And would we would watch it in rerun, of course, um, watch it every week together. But, um, you know, Rizzo is absolutely right. The, the one you're first introduced to is the one you love best. And um, but I got to say... I was a teenager when uh, Next Gen came on and would watch that. And um, I have a soft place in my heart for Next Gen as well. So, yeah, you you yeah, you you don't forget your first Star Trek love, I guess. <laughs> no, and uh, you know, I uh, agreed. I I do have a distant memory myself of seeing Star Trek first run, so I would have to be about four years old or five or six years old, and I would watch Lost in Space. I had no comprehension of when shows were on TV, what time they were on TV. I remember encountering Thunderbirds that same way, where it was on TV. I couldn't believe what I saw, and I could never find it again, because I didn't have the, the mental capacity to look at a TV guide and change the channel, I guess. Um, but I remember watching um, Who Mourns for Adonais and remembering like it made a major impact on my young mind with uh, Michael Forrest throwing lightning bolts at the Enterprise with um, George Takei sitting at the, the helmsman you know, console, hanging on for dear life as the Greek god Apollo is shooting lightning out of his finger at a spaceship. And that's uh, that stayed with me. I can't say that's my favorite episode, but it really has a deep, place in my heart especially since i did get the chance to interview michael forrest and ask him about that actual scene as well and and such, such a wonderful actor who's still with us uh to this day but i did watch picard and going back to what you said mary beth about next gen i found it um it took a while for me to wrap my head around this but i think i sort of got at the idea when i Basically, I'm almost finished watching um, the Orville right now. The Orville is a love letter to Star Trek: The Next Generation, 
And of course, spent some time talking with our our mutual friend Rory Kelly, the musician. And Rory uh, loves Star Trek: The Next Generation. And I came to realize that for a lot uh, of of our fans that are coming into these things, that they are fans of Next Gen, and Next Gen holds a place in their heart where the original Star Trek is in our heart. And I find find that interesting because, you know, going back to what Paul said at the beginning. Picard is a show that is removed from the source material by a TV series and a series of movies. So it's kind of like far away from the actual, you know, the actual beginning of it, the actual Ur text, if you want to call it that. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to go back around the bend here to Paul. Um, briefly, um, tell us what you thought of Picard. What did it get right? And what did it get wrong? Let me first say two things uh, in response to what uh, Mary Beth and uh, is Rizzo your first or your second name, by the way? You would be confused. Most people refer to me as Rizzo, but it is oh. my, my last name. Okay, Michael. <laughs> anyway, just two brief points. Um, you know, uh, there's a, and I can't remember the name of this either, but I'm sure you're all aware of it. There's been a uh, an anthology of essays about Star Trek, which uh, Robert J. Sawyer and uh, I don't know who else. I think he co-edited the anthology with someone. Anyway, I have an essay in that anthology in which I point out that, that the syndication that Michael was talking about really was a first in terms of what Star Trek did. Now, th there were shows in syndication like I Love Lucy and even the Jackie Gleason show, which were enormously popular, but not in the way that Star Trek, when it went into syndication, became so popular that it set the basis for a new series and then a movie and then a series of movies and then a series of series. So th that's uh, really uh, amazing. The, the other point I want to make, and then I'll get back to Picard. Yeah, the first love syndrome. So maybe maybe it was both uh, uh, Mary Beth and Michael. I, I realized that a long time ago, and that realization came to me that people love what they have first experienced. Uh, I had a conversation with this guy at a convention back in the late 1990s, and we were talking about what our favorite Star Trek was. And he said, oh, it's Star Trek, the motion picture. And I said... My, I really, I mean, I couldn't believe it, you know, and uh, I mean, every bit of Star Trek is worth seeing to some extent, but that even to this very day, I think is, you know, the worst effort that Star Trek put out. And I said to him, well, you know, I mean, did you see the original series? Did you see the next generation? And he said, yeah, but, you know, the, the first Star Trek I ever saw was the motion picture. Then I went back and I saw The Next Generation and the original series, and they just didn't hold up, you know, to that, that, that cinematic sweep of, of the, that movie. And that's when it dawned on me that it couldn't be that the movie uh, was better. I knew that it wasn't, or, or anyone would think objectively somehow it was better. It was just an expression of, of something else. Anyway, so I called that the first love syndrome. And I think I put that in one of my books uh, back in the uh, late 1990s. But but let's get to Picard. I'll, I'll tell you one thing I really 
didn't like at all. And unfortunately, this, I think, has been symptomatic, this kind of thing, of all the new Star Trek series on uh, now called Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I, they spent far too much time and made much too big a deal uh, about... Picard coming out of his shell and, you know, the sort of psychotherapy involved in that. And if only they could get Picard to figure out what was bothering him, you know, why when he's almost killed, he, he can't come back to full awareness. That is such a trite gimmick. The idea that you can, you know, save a character and thereby energize a, a story and even come up with a somewhat happy ending to a story by putting the central character into some version of psychoanalysis. I think if Freud were alive today and he saw that, he said, no, that's ridiculous. That's not the way it works. It's way too heavy handed. So I, I got to say, I didn't like that at all. Um but there were that, things that, that whole thing reminds me of the movie Flatliners, you know, if yeah. you remember the, the premise of that movie. But go ahead, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, yeah, that was with Kiefer Sutherland, yep. Flatliners. Yep. Yeah, yep. that was that, that was an excellent movie too. But right, it was spoiled, you know, by that premise as well. Uh, but look, there were a lot of things that I did like about it, and and to some extent, this is obvious. But you know, hey, it is great seeing these characters again. Uh, in in the second series of Picard, it was great to see. Q. And, uh, you know, in, in both of these series, in one way or another, it was great to see either, you know, Data or his ancestors. Uh, that was very exciting. In the second season, uh, Guinan, both older and younger, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, uh, these things were obvious, but for anyone who was and still is a fan of the next generation it was fun uh to see those people uh and you know it was great to see uh Riker uh, you know happily married to the psychologist speaking of psychology from uh, the next generation uh so I think all of that you know was very satisfying it was very very good to see but I have to say, in general, I don't think either one of the seasons of Picard came up with a really lasting, powerful story that you almost feel it changed your life because it gave you some kind of new perspective on things. Mm. Uh, let's go to Rizzo. Rizzo, um, I, I, I think Rizzo really had some harsh words for first season Picard. We're focusing on the second season. We know you didn't like the first season Picard, but what was in the show for the second season that you enjoyed, and, and what were the problems that were still uh, bothering you? Yeah, the second season was, a, in my opinion, was a, was a big improvement over the first. I thought the first was just wrought with just some really poor story line. It didn't fit the Star Trek universe for me personally. Um, in the second season, uh, I think things, the story was a little better. Um, you know, the time travel trope is, was a little bit tired. We've done it so many times, uh, you know, and I saw the trailer and I see uh, Seven and Raffi in a police cruiser, you know, running through LA. I was kind of shaking my head and we hadn't even seen the episode. The, that episode actually wasn't as bad as the trailer made it out to be, at least what I was thinking. Um, so some positive things about it. I agree. Seeing John Delancey again was great. Um, I'm glad they brought and And, you know, they kind of went back to the TNG core of Q and the Borg. 
Um, so we had those two, we had our, our two main TNG villains, so to speak, back. Um, and, and these shows seem to be kind of, at least they seem to be, they're designing them as kind of a fan service, you know, that get us all those older folks that like TNG to kind of coming back. I, I was a little, dis- I'm always, Patrick Stewart is a phenomenal actor. I just think he's getting so old. He seems so frail. Yeah, series. yeah. You know and what? I that, just, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here a second. Um, you know what? I I I loved Patrick Stewart's performance in the movie Logan as an age Professor X. You know, at the beginning, at the stages of dementia, losing himself. I love that performance. Here, Patrick Stewart, the person, <laughs> seems like this is like a little past him now, and 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 it's disappointing. You know, it really is. Go ahead, Michael. And I, and I agree with Paul. I didn't really care for the whole psychoanalyzing uh, part of it, but I think overall, the overall story wasn't, wasn't bad, but again, it's kind of cue. We're going back to it's sort of testing him or whatever. Um, and then there was this weird kind of relationship thing at the end that I really wasn't sure where they were going with that. Um, you know, that, that somehow Q was relying and had this, some kind of weird kind of relationship with Picard. I don't know what they were really trying to say there. Maybe I just missed something. So if somebody wants to explain it to me, I, I actually have an opinion on that, but I'm going to wait to give it until yeah. we hear from Mary um, Beth. Again, before we switch, so, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, uh, so overall, I thought it was much more entertaining. Um, the things that bothered me about it were some of just what I thought was kind of the weak writing holes in it. Um, one of the things that really little things irk me about when they to be though, they're having an argument on the ship before they go down to 21st century earth. Um, and they're saying, well, you can't bring a phaser. You could, you could screw up the timeline, but it was okay to bring a com badge in a tricorder. Um, you know, those, and then they had a phaser anyway, like randomly they blew the window out with a phaser, I guess. I don't know. If and steal a car. And, 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 yeah, and, and it's and, like, and, you know, tell, I'm like, tell the police officer you're from the 25th century. Yeah, it was, no but problem. I mean, the fa- that, that little thing, like you had a whole argument about not bringing a phaser, but the other technology was okay. It didn't make any sense. And th- that's what drives me crazy. I think in a lot of these shows is they don't seem to put the, the effort or the thought into thinking that maybe we think we're going to miss that. I don't know. I, I just, those are the things that really kind of irritate me about it. Um, well, and well, I see it not just in Picard, but they do it in Discovery and, and, and stuff, too. It's Well, the, the funniest thing about Strange New Worlds, and this isn't a spoiler or anything, is uh, they, in the first episode of Strange New Worlds, they established a prime directive and break it in the same, <laughs> the same five minutes. You know, and I just thought, yep, that's Star Trek. Here we go. You know? More of a guideline. <laughs> yes. Right. A suggestion. Maybe, you know. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Mary Beth now. Thank you for waiting, Mary Beth. Um, <laughs> your highlights and disappointments of Star Trek Picard, the probably the handsomest captain in Starfleet. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you're a Jim. I, I would think you're a Jim Kirk fan. Um, yeah, let's not go there. But I'm, I always thought I always thought he he kind of like stood stood ahead of all, of all the rest of the captains though in the various shows. But, I'm I'm rapidly becoming an Anson Mount fan, so. There's that. But yeah, I, I have to agree with both Paul and Rizzo. Um, this, yeah, the show so far has strengths and weaknesses. And what I keep coming back to, what I keep rolling over in my mind was, is that um, uh, so friends at CBS were, were telling us that the Star Trek The Next Generation, the Enterprise D and Captain Picard are, I believe to this day, CBS's number one Star Trek franchise, number one ship 
and number one captain. And I think what got what got it to be their number one wasn't present. And, and they did do some things very, very good. I really liked Rios. I really liked Rios. He looked good sitting in the captain's chair chomping on a cigar. That was great. I I was com- I loved the Wesley Crusher thing. Yeah. Fabulous. Uh, well, R- uh, Rios, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. Rios, fantastic eye candy. Great actor. Great looking actor. He's got the whole thing down. But so much emo, so much oh this and that, and and, and you know, and, and the first season, I just wanted to rename their ship the USS Crybaby because everybody seemed to have like some emotional crisis they were getting through. It's like, does anybody like that's, the replicator must that, be making Kleenex nonstop on this ship because everyone's always that's crying? The new Star Trek. Film. That is that's a recurring. Yes, that Everything is a recurring complaint. Especially for disco, Star Trek Discovery. Discovery. People will stop in the middle of a crisis to talk about their feelings. And I I don't remember that ever really happening before. And if you really were in a crisis, you don't have time to stop and psychoanalyze. You got to deal with what you have to deal with. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's where it's maybe taking a few missteps. But But I will say, having only seen two episodes of Strange New Worlds, I feel like they're trying to correct it. Yeah, they're, they're hope, stepping up to the plate. They they're totally stepping up to the plate. Anything else, Mary Beth, before I, I, I lay my, my ideas on you guys? Oh, I wanted to say what was good because I was agreeing with everything bad. It. What else yeah. was good? Oh, Allison Pill was fabulous. Oh now, I, and the weird the weird thing, um, Allison Pill, Agnes Gerardi, Um she, I didn't like her the first season. But I really enjoyed her second season. She did quite good. Amazing. And, and the, board, and the performance not, by the Borg Queen was amazing. I love yeah, the Borg Queen. We're not going to see these characters again. We're not going to see Gerardi slash Borg Queen again. We're not going to see Rios again, I don't think. We pro- we're not going to see, well, Talon. We're not going to see Talon, but are we going to see Laris? We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, so, so many great new characters that they introduced. And didn't Laris have a husband the first season? What yes, yes. I was like, "What's going on with with this? How how is how is he, he just, in love with her with with, again, with the husband?" It kind of goes to that, just that writing that just oh, you know, we're not yeah. going to bother acknowledging. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just yada, yada. yeah. Let me just say something about Agnes, though. I first of all, I think Allison Pill is a great actress. I loved her in both seasons. But again, Picard in particular, not not the man, the show, is riddled with smart people making stupid decisions (laughs) just to further the plot. So there's a crucial moment, you may recall, when Agnes comes to Picard and says, let me meld, you know, the Borg Queen just for a little bit and we can, you know, do this, get the ship back in time control. And Picard's first reaction is the correct reaction. He's saying no, because he's experienced that himself. And he knows once you merge with the Borg Queen, there is no first night encounter. There there is no one night stand. It's for the rest of eternity. And Picard knows that from firsthand experience. He is still, to some extent, tortured by being part of the Borg, as is Seven. And yet, in an incredibly dumb move in terms of the plot, within a matter of like 30 seconds, Picard is convinced. All right, you sure? Yeah, uh, okay, we'll do it. And and that really bothered me too, because I think Picard is too, you know, smart a guy, you know, to, to, to do that. 
Uh, Michael Michael Rizzo wants to jump in now. I just I just, I just got the message. Go ahead, about, Michael. Yeah, when you were talking about the Borg Queen, it did it brought up another thing that I, that I was questioning. I don't maybe maybe somebody has an answer for this. Um, but okay, so the, the the Borg Queen we see in the beginning, the first episode, so to speak, is really Gerardi. We just don't know it, right? I mean, that's what I'm assuming. And so they go back in time. She becomes she merges with the Borg Queen, and she makes the Borg Queen improves her in other words they become a nice board queen or the borg is not going to be this um you know malevolent uh uh race so that means you just retcon the entire history of what happened in tng because they wouldn't be but they don't really address that i mean it just it's just kind of left that oh you don't need to worry about that it really did still happen but it didn't happen and one of the bigger one of the bigger movies yeah, and one of the bigger movies as well. Yeah, and one of the larger movies. So it, it, again, that's what I, I mean when I say that, that it just kind of drives me crazy that it's like, well, you never, you're not going to at least explain that. But like this, what happened? But Michael, this board queen came from the alternate timeline where where the, uh, I, I, it's not a mirror mirror universe, but it was definitely a fascist state where they were going to execute the Borg Queen, and that's the Borg Queen they took from that alternate timeline. So is it possible, let's throw this over to Paul Evanson, uh, is it possible that both <laughs> Borg Queens exist? Did they bring this secondary Borg Queen, the one we like, the nice Borg Queen, who's opening up a restaurant in a, in a New York State called a Smorgasbord. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank Sounds you. Don't, <laughs> don't forget to tip your waitress. Um, but Paul, I mean, is this possible? Can there be two? <laughs> Of course. But listen, Michael's real point is they should have explained that if that was the explanation. I mean, because obviously you, you can play those games with time travel. And, and your point is very well taken. It's coming from a different universe in the first place. So there's no reason to think that the Borg in the next generation and those maybe one or two movies is, is the same Borg. But someone should have taken the time to explain that. I You know, I've thought over the years with all kinds of you know shows you know and i'm not the only one who has thought this you know the cliche it was left on the cutting room floor mm. that no longer applies because we don't actually physically splice film so it's left on the digital equivalent of the cutting room floor but being the optimist that i am i like to think that they they actually did film something where they're having a conversation and uh they're explaining how yeah. it was that the board went through but but they needed to cut it down because even though paramount plus is not the same as the network nbc and and people have much more leeway with streaming services they they still insisted it couldn't be that long L listen as long as i have the floor here i do want to add something about picard's age and picard seeming old and this might sound weird it's probably just a reflection of my insanity but to tell you all the truth I always thought Picard was too old, certainly in comparison to Kirk in the original TNG. I mean, I, I remember when I was watching, that's one of the things I didn't particularly like about it. I didn't believe that an old geezer like him, <laughs> however old he was, could move the around that quickly. Yeah, I know, 40, but he seemed, like seemed like he was in his 60s. Well, they, they went back. That guy looked to you like he's in his, in his 40s. Take a look at, uh, at TNG. They wanted, to, they wanted to go to that model that David Gerald wrote in the Galactic Whirlpool, where the original Star Trek, 
You know, there's the cliche that says, okay, there's a dangerous planet down there that we have to beam down to. So let's get the captain, the first officer, and the doctor, and anybody else essential to running this ship properly and beam them down there and put them right in the, <laughs> right in the water <laughs> with the shark. You know, so David Gerald's novel, uh, which, which came out in between uh, um, the original series and Next Gen, uh, The Galactic Whirlpool, um, has Kirk being forced to stay on the bridge? And they talk about that. I believe they found a generation ship, a universe ship in that story because uh, Gerald uh, is a big Highline fan, you know. Uh, and so, but I just, just remembered that coming from there. And that was the original intention of the next generation that Riker, the handsome Riker, would be go down there and, and get into all the physical stuff and Picard would sit on the uh in the center seat and and recite Shakespeare you know, and pontificate and that sort of thing, which he's great at, you know, which is which is amazing. And and no, he became a quote unquote action hero, you know. Um yeah. did you want to finish anything on that thought and then I'm gonna throw my my uh, my two cents in. Yeah, just you know the 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 final point uh, of that little spiel uh, for me is that because I thought Picard was too old in the first place, I actually didn't have a problem with his age in Picard, the the two uh, ah, seasons of the ah, series so okay. far. He, because, he, first of all, he's supposed to be older, and whether he was acting or that's the way he now moves, I don't know, but it, but it was believable to me that, that this guy, uh, you know, is that much older. You know, he still has his wits about him. By the way, I, I do have to add one other thing, and it was only briefly alluded to in the second season. The Picard in the second season uh, is basically an android with Picard's consciousness poured into it. That's what happened at the end of the first season. Uh, yeah. And Rios, so, I mean, he, Rios, Rios actually addressed that at one point. He did. And then, point. And then it just gets dropped. You know. That's right. The so didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rizza, Rizza, you have a you want to jump in here? Yeah, and you know, uh, just kind of jumping back to the to the to the board queen thing for a second there, which, which is another thing I thought was kind of, uh, you know, we get we see her in that first episode, and, and of course things go badly. She's sending out tendrils and controlling the ship and acting like you'd expect a board to act. And and then we fast forward to the end of the lat, you know, the end of the of the uh, series and or, or the uh, season rather, and and we find out that what she was she needed their help. She needed their help just for this whatever star that was going to shoot out something, flames or whatever. And she needed all these ships. Now, why if she was benevolent, why didn't she just ask them? Right? Yeah. Why? Why go through the whole? We're going to take over your ships. Why not just say, "Hey, there's things going to do this thing, and it's going to. We need these ships. Can you help us? Because that would be a total Starfleet thing. Yeah. It would have been a total Starfleet thing for them to do that. And even that, I thought, was kind of like that was the big, the big thing that she needed was this star that was going to spew out whatever it was. I don't remember the even specific. Again, it just seemed like we need an ending really quick, guys. What do we got? Okay, just do this, and there, it wraps it up. You just expected more that the whole point of her contacting the Federation to become a part of the Federation yeah. was going to be a bigger storyline than than what it ended up being. Well, and I'm, Again, that's another thing that kind of irked me. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump in here because that's a great place where, I, where my head's at, and then we're going to kick it over. Once I'm done, we're going to kick it over to Mary Beth um so yeah you know uh my my opinion is that 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 was a huge issue and i was trying to put all the pieces together in my mind because like paul 
Um, and I, I really, throughout the two seasons, um, I really enjoyed seeing my old friends. I loved it when Riker showed up and just smiled at the camera. If there was a show where Riker just smiles at the camera for three hours, I would probably watch that because he's just, you know, it's just, just the camera loves that guy's face. And when uh, Deanna Troy, you know, when Marina Sirtis, uh looks into Picard's eyes and realizes in season one that he's ill and she just shows that with her face, my heart melted. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. And that was the things that I really liked. Um, and again, we had that that brief, you know, that weird ending um, for the first season. So now we're in the second season. And yes, we have Q. We have a Borg queen, maybe two Borg queens, depending on, you know, the whole universe question. We have this, this band of adventurers, you know, who are gathered around Picard. We have Seven of Nine, who absolutely deserves her own Laura Croft-style show. It was absolutely fantastic uh, work from Seven of Nine. I loved loved seeing her just just saving, helping people, helping surviving Borg, who have been um, released from the Borg Collective and trying to help those people. That could be a great show all by itself. We have all these great ideas in this giant colander that is supposed to be like the big story that connects it all together. It's really not that great. So I spent my time thinking to myself, what's really happening? Is this Q um, repentance? Is Q coming in to make up for introducing the Borg to the Federation too early? Is he changing this because he never should have done that in the first place? Is Q dying? Was that explosion in space the after effect of a of a member of the Q continuum dying? And did he put all these pieces in place in order to protect, uh, to do something benevolent for once because he doesn't have the power to save those planets, to save that part of the galaxy? Because if I'm thinking about it, it's like, okay, there's a bunch of ships and there's the Borg, the giant flying Borg ship, which I don't want to tell you what it resembles, but it does resemble something. Um, and you, know, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it's like, that ship looks familiar. Um, so uh, this is a whole uh, Everybody Loves Raymond reference there. Um, so um, can they, are they, can, can they do, do they have the power to stave off a galactic event? We're talking about things the size of a solar system. Ships aren't that big. The Borg ship isn't that big. Is there enough power? Can they so all those things were like just rumbling around in my head. So I'm thinking, does this connect to the death of Q? Is Q trying to fix the wrongs that he's done? He's he's I, I always believed he was um the squire of the Gothos. Okay. I always believed he was trained and, and he wasn't fully mature yet. So I think he was was making up for those for those things. And then Wrapping up everything else, all those minor stories, Rios, Seven of Nine, uh, everybody, reads to me like the TV show Lost, where the actual personal stories of each character was fascinating. But when we got to the end of Lost, I could care less, <laughs> you know, because I loved seeing um, those personal stories play out over the seasons, all their individual stories. And that's what I was getting from this. And I kind of liked everybody and the subplot with Guinan standing on the street in San Francisco and saying they gave up their hoods and now they're wearing suits. 
that was that was amazing to me. That was that was like okay, it's finally become Star Trek. It's taken a season and a half, and here we are. Finally, we're making a comment on society, and I love that. So, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, I'm going to kick it over to Mary Beth. Um, Mary Beth, you had we talked a lot, and you you hadn't. So now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love when they comment. I love when they make comments on what's really going on, and and they do every now and again. So I will give them kudos for that. Um, yeah, you're right. Where did this go, and where are they gonna go? Um, they left the door open. I feel like Gerardi and her Borg tribes, she called herself the guardian at the gate. Because I think that's going to be, it's like a wormhole or something, right? That could be a spinoff. Yeah. Devin and Rafi and probably uh, black-haired Legolas there. They'll they'll run around. That can be a spinoff. Like, so they've kind of left that open. I will, Wesley Crusher, that could be a spinoff. That would be awesome. I'd watch that all day. If they give him a TARDIS. We'll be doing something. <laughs> what happened to the FBI guy? Oh like, yeah. What happened? What was his storyline? Did that ever get resolved? Didn't the card specifically say to him, "We're going to need your help"? I thought, "Oh, we'll see him again at the end," and we never saw him again. Again, it's like <laughs> it's those 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 threads that they just leave hanging. And I'll tell you something else. The FBI guy was played by the same actor who played an FBI guy who was involved in the television series 12 Monkeys. Ah. And he, he did a really good job there. And if you're a fan of The Shield, which in my view is one of the all-time great detect, you know, corrupt detective shows, he played, you know, somebody in that show yes. as well. So he this guy is an excellent actor. He makes a, a very a powerful, inscrutable impression in, in any show that he's in. So, and he had actually been on Next Gen. He had played a character on Next Gen. I, I, I have to, I have to jump. In, I have to jump in for one second before we leave the FBI guy, um, who, who no one can remember his name. Um, <laughs> but I would have loved if that had been played by David Duchovny. Oh, okay. That would have been. That would have been. That would have been, been cool. Yeah. yeah, it would have been good. It would have been nice to see the, or or uh, Julian Anderson. Yeah, Julian Anderson could have played the Borg Queen. Yes. Hey, that would have been good. <laughs> uh, anyway, I interrupted you, Mary Beth. Go ahead. Well, no, that's okay. Well, what I was going to say is, we can, you know, given, uh, and I didn't. I personally had to rewatch the ending, the ending scenes between Q and Picard a couple times over, and I'm still not a hundred percent clear on on what i'm seeing there what is happening there but we don't know where this thing is going we don't know what'll be season three we know season three is the last season and we can all say our our hopes and dreams and wishes um but i can say we don't know what's going to happen but we do know who worked on it um we do know that uh doug drexler and the yokutas were back and had made a few contributions to season three so I'm excited to see. We'll be seeing a lot more of the Stargazer, apparently. We apparently, yeah, apparently. I don't, I don't know. I guess we will, yeah. I, so, I yeah. Have, what do you guys think? What well, do you want? Uh, With uh, all these well, hanging us, threads, Doug told us that outright. That's not a secret. It's not a secret. Okay. There are other well, yeah. well, before before there are, uh, there are other secrets. Yes. If, it wouldn't bother me one bit if um, season three ended with Picard. Um, in a hospital in the state of dementia and all this thing has happened in his mind you know um, or he walks out of the shower in Dallas he's got to wake up know? next to Suzanne Plachette exactly <laughs> that, that would not bother me one bit that he you know this is this is him you know just just wool gathering and 
And just, well, I, I just is, have to jump in here. Go ahead, go ahead. He's going to wake up next to Victoria Principal. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, or, you know, it, I, I feel like this, that I feel like the original premise of Picard, because of the way Stewart is, um, could have been just great as an anthology if Stewart had just been sitting in front of a classroom in Starfleet Academy describing things that have happened. And then that whole thing would be dr dramatized, like 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 a Rod Serling sort of thing, you know. Um, so I'm not entirely happy where this is going or where this has been. I like seeing the characters. I do like the new characters. I think the new characters are great. Um, I feel like we needed um, an episode like Home was an episode after the Borg episodes. I feel like we need that. I, we need to sit down. You know, in the vineyard, and and suss this all out and have it explained to us because it's all over the place. Um, who wants to pick it up? Uh, I'll pick it up. Okay. Let me just, I'm, but just to sort of uh, broaden out the context a little bit. The problem with everything that's come after Gene Roddenberry is that whoever is at the helm is not Gene Roddenberry. Not not that he was a perfect person, but this is something that happens over and over again. Uh, some excellent people, you know, Greg Bear, uh, Gregory Benford, David Brin, other people have written novels and stories in the Foundation uh, universe, and some of them are quite good. None of them are as good as Asimov's best work. And not to get off too much on a tangent, the Foundation series on Apple TV Plus has some good points. That's not as good as Asimov's work by a huge shot. And and it's the same thing, you know, over and over again. Uh, you know, the 7% solution, Nicholas Meyer, who also has a role in science fiction, he's, he's you know, a brilliant writer, but he's no Arthur Conan Doyle. And I think what made those first two Star Trek series so exceptional was, was the power of Roddenberry in terms of getting what he wanted. And I think the, the mistakes that Michael has been pointing out and all of us have been pointing out, I don't think Roddenberry would have allowed anything to go to screen that had those mistakes. And sure, I'm sure there are continuity people there who try the best they can and they do a pretty good job, but that's why there are so many loose ends. So, I, you know, if you're asking me what I want for a third season, I just don't want to be aggravated. You know? <laughs> so, this is a story of my life, Paul. They're going to put it on. They're going to put that on my tombstone. <laughs> Captain Phil, he just didn't want to be aggravated. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But, no, it's true. It's, I start to wonder who they're making these shows for. You know, it's clearly not my generation of Star Trek fans because we're all just going, we don't recognize this <laughs> as Star Trek. But they believe you'll watch anything with the name Star Trek on it, Rizzo. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and Phil, I wanted to circle back what you were saying, you know, having that episode, you know, where it kind of wraps things up. We have to keep in mind now we're in, in an era where ten, 10 episodes is a season. We're no longer where you have 26, 27 episodes. We could tell a lot of, you know, be more. We could have that going home story after, you know, like we did. Um, 
because they don't have they don't have they have to make they have to get this story jammed into 10 episodes uh, i think that's part of the problem with their kind of hurried writing is they need to jam too much into too little time to get it all in um which is why i'm kind of excited about strange new worlds because we're supposed to get back to the episodic rather than the story arc thing so it's just going to be you know like the original show was you get one story one episode you know it, it all wraps up um so th- i think that's that's kind of a you know where we're at and we have to kind of keep that in mind i think when we're making this stuff um you know some of the stuff that they did on discovery talking about um you know they brought back the guardian forever you talk about your favorite episode um and it was a guy what was his name larry or something like <laughs> that what was it it was carl 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 excuse me and you know and, and i'm sitting there watching this episode and when it's revealed that he's the guardian of forever i literally threw something at my television <laughs> i mean it was so <laughs> aggravating and I'm, that, guy cool from, that guy is from that uh, guy's from that las vegas csi show yeah i mean nothing know. against the actor it was just like <laughs> what <laughs> And, you know, that it just drove me nuts. Now, you, and again, I've brought this up before. You look at what Disney has done for Star Wars fans and, and, and Favreau specifically with the Mandalorian and stuff like that. And so we know that they can they can give good fan service to us old hardcore Star Wars fans and put a product out that we enjoy and we think is well made. So why I think CBS Paramount should kind of look to what they're doing with those shows and say, you know, what's working over there and maybe we can apply it to Star Trek. I'm hoping that's what they did with Star- Stranger Worlds. Um, I'm going to jump in for a second. Uh, I don't think it's 10 episodes and everything being crammed into 10 episodes. I feel like it's one story being stretched out over 10 episodes. <laughs> that's the way I see it. Um, that, that's fine, Phil. But yeah. they need to then they need to not have so many different things going off in different directions. They need to stay focused. I, exactly, exactly. Um, I'm going to go to Mary Beth, and I'm going to then I have a specific question uh, to ask Paul. But uh, Mary Beth, uh, let's go to you. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I don't know what it is, but but Rizzo has a fantastic point about what Favreau and Filoni are doing with Star Wars versus where Star Trek is going, and and if they have deliberately chosen to. To chase another demographic or if they still want to appeal to the masses or, or what they're doing. We don't know. But um, I think now that uh, so many different shows are out, like including Lower Decks, Prodigy, Strange New Worlds, Picard, there's something for everyone. You know, if Disco's not your thing, try Lower Decks. If Lower Decks isn't your thing, maybe you'll like Strange New Worlds. You know, so, and and I, I just was actually watching an interview with, with Doug Drexler about people um, and he, that's what he was talking about. He's like, Star Trek now is like a box of candy, like a box of chocolates. You don't like the caramel ones? Don't eat those. You don't like the ones with nuts? Don't eat those. Just get the ones you like. And so. I have to jump in here and say that um, Mary Beth talked me off the, uh, off the ledge in terms of Lower Decks, which I was desperately trying to hate when it first oh, came out. And stuff. I gave it, gave it some time. And because um, Mary Beth is Betazoid, um, she was able to to get me to watch it, and I swear it's it's become one of my favorites of the new of the new uh, now, shows. That the, the, that is a fan service show. That is a fan service. Uh, you and know I what the the, the, Tom, fan service show. the Tom Paris plate. I I I thought I was going to die. I was laughing so hard. The tears are coming out. It was just so that plate, you know, it was, it was I just this, the greatest thing ever. 
Oh, he has one. Rizzo went to get one. I say this every time. Oh, yeah, there's the Jordy Bear. Every time we talk about Lower Decks, I say this, but it, it bears repeating. You must know Star Trek to get yeah. Lower Decks because yeah. it is chock full. It is packed from beginning to end. Every episode is packed with uh, Easter eggs and references and yeah, nods and mentions. Yeah. But it doesn't go full crack magazine or mad magazine and make fun of it. It's no. we're all in on the joke. We're all laughing together. Oh, no it's done one's with love. It's done yeah. with great love. There, 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 I, there is no get a life. This is the life. That's what's great about Lower Decks. I, I was watching it, Phil, one day. My wife was sitting there, and I'm cracking up over the little the little jokes of yeah, there she's got, uh, you know that that are that are that we all as Star Trek fans get. And my wife is sitting there, and she's like, "What is so funny?" And I'm like. She's like, I really don't get that. I'm like, this show's not made for you. Not for you. This is made for the hardcore Star uh, Trek. I fans. was I was watching it in my bedroom and I, I might have I actually might have bedroom and I, I might have I actually might have been sick and uh and, and gotten my second uh vaccination and wasn't feeling good and I was laying there watching it and and my wife Annette came in and when they were doing the flyover of, of the Cerritos in <laughs> Star Trek the motion picture style and, and Annette who is you know, who knows, you know, and that's married to me for 30 years. She looks at it and is like, oh, my God, they're doing the flyover from Star Trek The Motion Picture, a movie that's played uh, like 500 times in my house because I love that movie, Paul Levinson. <laughs> you're I love you're it. the guy I, I was love, talking to. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I, I watched a little bit of Star Trek Prodigy, which I kind of like. I really, I, I, I actually just like having Janeway back. Um, in Prodigy, I'm still, you know, the story seems to be, it reminds me of Peter David's Space Cases a lot. Um, so I'm enjoying that. I have not finished Discovery. I had to stop Discovery uh, for a bit because I didn't like the way it's filmed. It's too crazy. There's like always something happening. It's, it's, like, it's like watching a movie with um, a strobe light going off in your face. You know, it's, You're not it's, missing anything, Phil. <laughs> well, I want to get to he's the in, part. I'm in. I'm in the second season. I haven't finished yeah, the, the 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 oh, yeah, Captain okay. Pike arc yet, so I I know I'm missing something uh, with that. Stop watching it after that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I stopped watching the new season. I honestly, know, this is this is. I struggled through this the, the, this current season because I felt as a Star Trek fan, I had to watch it. Struggled through it, got to the very last episode and never watched it because I could care less <laughs> what the actual point was of the whole season. I just didn't care. Season two didn't care. was their high point. Yeah, I agree. Season two why? Was, was, because was of because of And you know why? Anson Mount. Yes, you're completely right. Well, I, I have to tell you, we're talking with Paul Levinson, Mary Beth Rakowski, and Michael Rizzo, the infamous Rizzo, here on a Friday Night Freeform. We're doing a deconstruction review of Star Trek Picard. We're having a really great time just chatting. I hope you're enjoying it and indulging us a little bit. Um, as as we're, we're going along here, yeah, you know, um, I, I kind of like... I'm very excited about Strange New Worlds. I enjoyed The Living Daylights out of the first two episodes. I can watch it with my wife. I didn't watch Star Trek Picard with my wife because I thought the violence in season one was too much for her and she wasn't going to like seeing people's eyeballs ripped out of their heads. <laughs> you know? So, so, but we, we watched and discussed uh, the first uh, two episodes of Strange New Worlds. Uh, very much enjoyed it as we enjoy uh, the Orville as well, which we haven't finished the second season yet. We're, we have one episode left, so we just got the duplicate 
first officer on the Orville um, to prepare for the, the new season. Um, I will say for Anson Mount, for me, uh, I like him. He he has great respect. I love the re- the interview he did with uh, with uh, with Will Wheaton. Um, in that first episode, where he makes that speech to stop the planet from nuking themselves, and he beams down and he says hi, um, and he starts doing that speech just like uh, Michael Rennie did, you know, from uh, the day the Earth stood still, you know, with, which they did a callback to in that episode. Um, he lost me. He lost me. I wasn't going there. But you know what? I trust Mary Beth. And if Mary Beth thinks he's great, I'm sure that greatness will become apparent to me at some point. But sometimes, uh, Mary Beth, I get a little slow, you know, <laughs> to catch on to these things. I, uh, by the way, I think he's I think he's great, too. I, I first saw him in Hell on Wheels. This was about, you know, laying the transcontinental mm-hmm. railroad down. He was superb. And I think he's one of the best things in the new Star Trek. Um, let's start to wrap it up. Um, final, you know what? We'll start. We'll stick with you, uh, Paul. Final thoughts on Star Trek Picard, and at the end uh, of your of your comments, Paul, just give a quick uh, shout out to your URLs where people can find you again. Sure. Well, let me begin uh, by mentioning, in case anyone doesn't know it, that I'm a professor at Fordham University. And uh, years ago, from like, I guess, 2003 to 2008, I was chair of the department. One day, there's a knock on my door, and this young woman comes in. She had been in my class. She was a very good student. And I could see she was upset about something. And I said to her, what's the matter? And she told me she was taking a class with a professor. And she said the professor was so boring that I fell asleep and I hit my head on the desk. <laughs> and, and, I, uh, and I, I, I was, I almost said to myself, so what do you do? You want to file a complaint against the guy? I mean, you know, have a cup of coffee next time. But the reason why I mentioned that is I, I stopped watching uh, the, the, the third season of Discovery because although I've, I've not yet fallen asleep, I was close to it. That's how boring it was. So that, yeah, I just want to make that point. Um, I love that story. Yeah, look, I think <laughs> I think that um, let me say one other thing as far as Lost is concerned. I can never compare anything to the abject mess that that last episode of Lost was. It was horrible. After all this, there's so much brilliant. They're sitting together in a church. Oh, they're so happy. Except they're dead. Okay, leave me alone. So I, nothing that Star Trek has done has been as horrendous as that. Uh, but I'll tell you, listen, I, I think... That Picard, in spite of, you know, a lot of the negative things that we've been saying, and obviously we've yet to see the third season, it it is a pretty remarkable thing that Patrick Stewart came back and, and and will have done three seasons of the show playing his same character in almost a completely different situation. And that's something that no one else really has done, right? I mean, you know, Shatner obviously did movies, but a movie is very different from a television series. And, And so I give him credit, I mean, in its own way, 
what Patrick Stewart has done is, is a tour de force. And, and I think it is difficult for him, however old he is. He can't possibly, you know, have every bit of vibrance that he had when he was 20, 30 years younger. And, and yet I, I think I, he's done a really good job in that. And for that reason, despite my frustrations with the first two series, I'm, I'm going to be very happy to see that third season. Uh, Michael? Well, I'm optimistically hopeful for the third season. Specifically, you know, I am friends with, with Doug Drexler and Mike Okuda, and they have both said, having worked on the third season specifically, uh, you know, that it's going to, I think Doug's term was, it's going to hit you in the feels. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see so. I hope so. Back and so I'm optimistically hopeful that we're going to, we're going to see some stuff that us old old timer fans are going to want to see. Um, so, so I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, that, that this is going to be better. And I'm kind of glad that they're not dragging it on. Now, I don't know if they're going to do spinoffs from on these characters uh, or not, but you know, uh, the best part of the series, you know, is that Rizzo is now canon in Star Trek. <laughs> yes. yes. So I just wanted to point that out. It was a, it was a Rizzo in the first season. season. So, so yeah, so I'm canon. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say you know anybody listening, and, and if you really love this show, and, and this is like your favorite show or whatever, and you're cursing our names or my name or whatever, you know, it's totally okay if you like this show. You know, it, show it's it's fine. I always say people love Discovery, and I'm like, well, that's your thing, and that's great. And if you love it, watch it and enjoy it. It's not for me. It's just not. Now, as a hardcore Star Trek fan, I watch it all even if I don't like it except for that last last episode of Discovery I haven't watched that yet you like that that comic book fan that that will just keep reading that comic book no matter what you're just hoping you're hoping something's (laughs) going to to, to get better like I said Uh, though overall season 2 to me was a lot better than the first season I had massive issues with the first season um and and almost wasn't going to watch the second season until i was encouraged by people to to give it a shot and uh, i try to keep an open mind at the beginning like with strange new worlds i overall i'm liking it what i'm seeing uh, i have some issues i i didn't expect to not have any issues with it so um yeah we'll see where all these things go and and is the best part of the, all of this is that there's star trek back on TV. I mean, we had a long between Enterprise and and Discover. There was a long, a long wait. It's, it's just so um, great to 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 get the backstory on Uhura. I'm yeah, I'm loving it. I, I'm so glad what they're doing. I, I'm loving what they're doing with her. I I love it. Except uh, she's not singing the same way. It's off a little bit. <laughs> well, I was almost waiting for her to break out into uh, Beyond Dantari. Yes, yeah. me too. <laughs> I was really waiting for that, but they didn't go Where there. Maybe they I will. I don't know. But, you know, I, one of the things I know this is not popular, but really my f- second favorite Star Trek Beyond the original series is Enterprise. Because I think that one of all of them got back to, I think, what the original show And trying. you have a really valid point, um, you know, because... And I'm going to circle. I'm going to circle to Mary Beth and back over back to Paul because I forgot to let Paul give his his contacts at the end. Um, but you have a very valid point because there's a lot to like in Enterprise, and as as I progress through through the show, and I look at the way the ship is and the way things work and the way things behave, you know, yeah, there are moments here and there, but overall, 
the whole thing hangs together really, really well. Even the parts that people hate, I kind of like. So I, I agree. I'm, I'm kind of there as well. And I feel like Strange New Worlds um, is connected to that show in a small way, not just the Captain April uh, thing. You know, I just feel like it's, it's, it's sort of connected there. Um, Rizzo, where can we find you on Facebook? Well, of course, we're at facebook.com slash distilled, or you can just punch into the search bar sci-fi distilled. And we are on every Wednesday night at seven, uh, unless for some reason we're not, but we let, we announced that ahead of time. <laughs> but for the most part, we're on every night at seven. And of course we're on, on the podcast, just whatever your favorite podcast uh, software is. We're probably on there. Just search. Sci-fi. You guys pick a movie for uh, next week yet? Yes, it's going to be uh, Clone Wars and Rebels. So we're sci-fi month, uh, Star Star Wars Wars month continues. Okay. Uh, Marybeth, uh, final thoughts on uh, Star Trek Picard? I just have a couple couple brief thoughts. One is if you enjoyed Uhura singing, uh, Cecilia Gooding, who plays Uhura, put up a, a, on she tweeted a Spotify, a Hura Spotify playlist of all of Hura songs. And, and the crowd went wild. It was really, really cute. They're into it. The, the cast is into it. And, they, and it's amazing to interact with them on Twitter. Um, once again, this evening, I find myself agreeing with both Paul and Rizzo. I, I, Rizzo, yep, we, we're only in season two. I remain cautiously optimistic for season three, especially knowing that Doug and the Akutas worked on it. So I am hopeful. And, you know, Paul, you just said it's Patrick's tour de force. And I, I just, I immediately was transported back. And Rizzo, I don't know if you were in the room with me that night, too. Do you remember going to Star Trek Las Vegas and they were announcing... Picard and and he and Patrick Stewart wasn't meant to appear that and but they you know they get up on stage I don't remember who it was it wasn't Mr. Van Sitters it was one of the guys and yeah and you know here's the star of our latest show and out watched Patrick Stewart and oh the roar the roar that went up people lost their minds wow. was so- I missed it I was getting a photo op with Carner Trenier oh were you ah oh, yeah, that's right. that's a great <laughs> that's a great photo too though my wife was surely, in there but my wife was in there and she's screaming. texting me she's texting me she's like she's like Patrick Stewart's here Patrick Stewart. I'm like no he's not no that's <laughs> you you had to he, the entire building had to have heard the roar of that crowd when he walked on stage that's right they announced it at 2018 I think it was it, yeah. It was wow. incredible. And so I, I just, yeah, it's Patrick's, uh, this is his moment. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping they give this character um, an amazing ending because he deserves it. Yeah, that's, that's really a great way to put it. And, uh, and I also want a seven of nine show. Uh, as well. <laughs> you just want to see. Seven of nine Actually, I, I like where she's gone. I didn't like the character when the character originated on Voyager. I like the later episodes where she's trying to learn how to be human again. I believe Jerry's Jerry Ryan's backstory is that she had an autistic son and she was trying to like approach the character the way an autistic person would see the world and stuff. And and I feel like that continued a little bit into Picard. I feel like she was the action hero of this whole thing, but it was just great to see the sadness on her face when she she took took that wound and then the Borg Queen saved her, but the the Borg implants came back and she was like crushed. And I, I don't know. It's just, I like, I like that inner battle in the character, you know, more so for her than for Patrick Stewart. I thought Patrick Stewart's emotional thing. While it's a great story, actually that whole, well, I'll have to be quick because we're running out of time. That whole um, thing with the tunnels reminded me of the, 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 the Spanish language movie, uh, the orphanage or yeah, the orphanage, I think it was, um, 
it just really had that creepy uh, feel to it. But um, I'll have to look it up and send you guys um, the link to that. It just when they were running around the tunnels and stuff. Mary Beth, um, again, what's happening in Trek Condoroga this summer? So this summer at the Star Trek set tour, uh, we unfortunately, we were about to have an, an event that we unfortunately had to postpone. So that if you're interested in the George Takei Walter Koenig event, we have postponed that. But, but, but we have so much more coming. Uh, in July, we have none other than William Shatner. Captain Kirk himself will be visiting for the sixth, seventh, sixth time, I lost believe. Track of how many times? We've lost track. He keeps coming back. And in August, for our annual event, Trek Conderoga, we will be having Gates McFadden, Brent Spiner, and John Delancey. So two of the stars from this season, and I believe Gates has been announced that she will be appearing next season. I believe they've already announced who's going to be on next season. So, um, yeah, if you want to meet these guys in person, come on out to Trek Conderoga. The, the website is www.startrektour.com. Mary Beth, don't lie to us. Is William Shatner actually living on the set now? Yes. <laughs> the captain's quarters is his bedroom. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And the replicators really work. It does uh, like coming up And the there. replicators really work. Yes. And the, so, and the transporter. I want to throw a quick question to Paul. Paul, um, Michael Chabon was involved with this show early on. What happened? I thought Michael was a great writer. Well, he is, but that's what I was saying. It, it takes more than great writers. You need some kind of obsessed, semi-maniacal genius at the top who reads every single word and uh, is unafraid to make decisions that are unpopular. That's what it takes to really whip together a show like Star Trek. Hmm. But let me, I, I can't let the mention of music go by without yes. mentioning, you can also search on my name on Spotify and you'll find like three albums of my uh, songs, including one uh, called Welcome Up Songs of Space and Time, which has the title suggests are songs of science fiction. Like apropos time travel, if I travel to the past <laughs> to change your mind. Anyway, so you can hear that a lot more on, on Spotify. Uh, let me just say, though, one other thing uh, about uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek. Actually, I always loved both of those and, and still do. But I do think that Star Wars indeed deserves the credit of having brought itself forward through the years a lot better and a lot more effectively than Star Trek. And uh, I, I'm not as much a, a fan of, you know, the last two or three movies as I was of, you know, the movies before then. But certainly, you know, the, work, the final prequel trilogy uh, that George Lucas did in many ways were every bit as good, I think, as the original trilogy. But that's, again, because you had that same mind at the helm. So I'm not, therefore, surprised that the current iterations of Star Wars are, by and large, better than what we're getting with Star Trek. Interesting. Well, there's a whole other show right there, guys. <laughs> um, I have to tell you, um, my journey back to star trek after um you know just putting it aside for for years was a trip to the convention shore leave in baltimore and when i went down to baltimore that first uh time in, in a long time i went to the convention and um 
I looked around me, and the convention was a real reflection um, of what we're seeing on the shows right now. The convention population was very mixed. There was there was people of color in that convention. There was fans of all shapes and sizes. There was fit fans. There was fat fans. Uh, there was gay fans. There was straight fans. Um, but the way they got together and just it just re pardon the pun it re energized my love of the original show. And I didn't even mind sitting in a panel where the moderator of the panel told us that his favorite Star Trek film was Star Trek V. So, so it was it was such a wonderful thing. And I think that's the idea. I know Mary Beth just passed out. Um, but that's the idea I think we're trying to impart to the listeners here, that we have four people speaking about this show, four different points of view, agreeing on certain things. There are different reasons why uh, we love Star Trek. But we each find we were able to take something from it uh and and make it our own and enjoy it and 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 learn from it and just just let it in, inspire us without tearing each other down there's a great deal of fellowship and uh brotherhood and sisterhood in this group and i think that's the great thing and when fans attack each other over this isn't any good or i didn't like this line or that it, it's at that's when that goes out the window i think you have to sit and listen and accept what people say about different things and if only paul that prime directive <laughs> could be brought to all other aspects of our lives where we could calmly and and you know listen to each other and and grow from that and learn from that and i think that's what i find with these new shows um personally that's my personal takeaway so a pleasure as always, I've made Rizzo and Mary Beth stay up way past their bedtimes. Um, do you got to work tomorrow, Rizzo, or are you off? No, it's Saturday. All right, awesome, awesome. That's great. But I think the dogs are going to wake up Mary Beth at what, 5 a.m., 6 a.m.? Yes. <laughs> yes, the morning comes early. Um, but uh, such a pleasure. Uh, and I, we have to do a quick shout-out to uh, our friend who couldn't be here tonight, uh, Roy Belquist who is a little under the weather. He was going to join us in this conversation, and the show probably would have went to 2 a.m. if we had Roy here uh, with us. Um, but we do want to point everybody at in Roy's direction because he also does one of these Facebook uh, science fiction discussions called Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner, and that's on Friday nights and Sunday nights. And Paul... Roy had on his last episode he, an interview with the woman who was the stunt person inside the salt vampire costume in the man trap. That's great. Isn't that amazing? She's still with us. She was great. She was absolutely great. And of course, you know, in, in the comments section, of course, I was jumping around saying, pass assault. I hope she doesn't assault us, you know, because it was just a great opportunity for puns. Um... But such such a great such a great uh, woman and, and a great guest, and you should uh, check that out on Roy's Tie Dye Sci Fi Corner. Um, I also suggested that um, because she can still I, she still she can still keep working um, that she really needs to be on what we do in the shadows as one of the Vampire Council. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be awesome. Anyway, guys, um, I've tortured you long enough. Uh, thank you so much again, and uh, I will see you soon. And, Paul, I will see you uh, on Sunday the 29th. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Take care, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. The Light on Light Through podcast.
And I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Picard Season 2 and everything else Star Trek. I certainly enjoyed it. Let me fill in two gaps, that is two things that I and the other speakers in our conversation didn't know, but they came up during the discussion. One, who was the actor who played that FBI guy in the second season of Picard? He is none other than Jay Carnes, who also played the FBI guy and I thought his performance there was also excellent in the television series of 12 Monkeys, not the movie, the television series. And as I mentioned in our conversation, which you just heard, I first got to know and like Jay Carnes as an actor because he had a major role in The Shield, not science fiction, a very good corrupt detective story. Now, Mary Beth said that Jay Carnes also had a small role in Star Trek The Next Generation. I checked that out on IMDb, and according to them, the small role that Jay Carnes played was in Star Trek Voyager. Now, for all I know, Mary Beth is right. IMDb isn't always perfect, but just so you know, that's what their official listing is. And the second point, I talked about a book of essays about Star Trek. I couldn't remember the name of the book, and I only recalled the name of one of the editors, Robert J. Sawyer. Well, the other editor was none other than David Gerald, and the title of the book is Boarding the Enterprise. And you'll find a link to that book if you're interested in reading it, You'll find a link to it in the show notes to this episode of Light On, Light Through. I'll be back here soon with a review of, well, let's see, The Man Who Fell to Earth. We talked a lot in this discussion about the new Star Trek series, Strange New World. I'll certainly be back here with a review of that pretty soon. There's a new series, and this is something, they made a great movie out of it. It was a great book, The Time Traveler's Wife. I think that's going to be debuting this Sunday night, so I'll be back here soon with a review of that. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sound, and as always... Do whatever you can to continue helping those brave fighters in Ukraine, those brave people, getting those Russians out of their country. AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com.
ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.